Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today. We are so thankful for this time together. I'm thankful for each person that's here, God, for what they mean to me, what they mean to uh, each other. God, I pray that you bless them, bless, uh, bless their uh, relationships, uh, bless their homes, uh, bless their, their workplace. God, I pray that you'd help each of us to be uh, the encouragers, to be the uh, engagers that you called us to be, Lord, to uh, to speak to a world around us that so desperately needs to know of your uh, saving grace. God, help us to, to stand strong. Help us to stand with boldness. And uh, we praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the Cowboys received some bad news uh, not too long ago. Um, and if you're a Cowboy fan, you consider it a bad news. If you're not a Cowboy fan, you were like, I hate to see somebody hurt like that, but uh, okay. Um, Dak, Dak Prescott went down, and a uh, pretty serious injury. You saw the video. You were uh, probably uh, a little bit disturbed by, by what happened to his ankle. Um, but when something like that happens, and it happens quite often in sports, the question becomes, how is the team going to respond? And there's generally one of two ways that teams respond when their leader uh, goes down like that. One way is to just disintegrate or to give up. You know, well, our leader's done. This season's done. Let's just look forward to next season. Let's regroup. Let's reorganize and see what we can do next season. And you see that quite often. If that happens, then generally the, the team just kind of fades into the background and nobody really thinks about them until the next season. The other way is something that we sometimes see with sports teams when something like that happens, and that's the team coalesces, the team comes together, and they find a new way of functioning. They find a new way to operate and to, to succeed, and they actually rise above all expectation. And generally when that happens, you, you see a lot of interviews with players and, and coaches and so forth, and, and, and the line that you'll typically hear is something along the lines of, well, you know, this tragedy just, it just really brought us together, just really brought us together. Now, what distinguishes between those two responses? What makes one team fall apart and another team come together? Well, what is it that is that intangible reality that helps um, teams overcome or, or causes them to, to just give up? I, I think it's, it's the bond of who they are as a unit. I, I think it's how they view each other and how they view their task. And I think as a church, it's important that we develop a mindset, develop a bond, develop a connection that allows us to view who we are, to view each other, and to view our task as something that we can tackle, something that we can engage, something that we can overcome in the midst of adversity. Because right now in our country, in our community, there is a lot of adversity. There, is a lot, there are a lot of things that are going on that we look at and we're like, wow, I don't know where that's going. I don't know how that's going to end up. We have an election in just a couple of weeks. And as we look at that and the possibilities of all the different ways that, that we hear, you know, reporters or others uh, comment on, well, if this happens, then this is what's going to happen. And if this happens, then this is what's going to happen. And, and we, we, we start hearing those things, that, and it's easy to get at least a little concerned. At least a little tense, a little, um, man, you know, I need to be ready for that. And, you know, we make our own plans. We make our own designs or 
how we'll respond should this transpire or how we'll respond should this transpire. And, and those are fine on an individual basis, on a, on a family basis. That, that's, I encourage that. Be prepared is, is, is you know, a motto I heard growing up, and it's a motto that I think that, that needs to be part of who we are always. But who are we going to be as a church? Who are we going to be as believers? How are we going to respond to not just to the adversity that we're likely facing in a couple of weeks, but the adversity that we face every single day as we engage our culture, as we re- try and relate to the world around us? As I considered that and, and thought about that and, and how best to, to speak into that situation as your pastor, uh, I was led back to the book of Philippians. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians, just looking at what Paul had to write to that church. Because it is, it's, it's, a, it's a book that is full of encouragement. Okay? It's a book that, that is, is full of hope. And as we look at some of the details and some of the background, some of the things that are going on there, I think we can see some lessons that we can take away from Paul's instructions to the church at Philippi to, to better understand our own circumstance and our own situation. So turn with me this morning, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the first uh, 11 verses this morning. Now, just a little bit of background about Philippi and, and what we're looking at, what we're dealing with. Philippi is uh, it's a beautiful city. I've been there. I've been to the ruins. It's no longer a city. I've been to the ruins twice, and, and it's surrounded by mountains. And it's not too far from the coast. You can see uh, the Aegean Sea and so forth from from it. Uh, it's a beautiful location. But not only is it a beautiful location, it's an it's a important crossroads location. It, it's one of the cities that was key and instrumental in moving from Asia Minor, minor which would be modern-day Turkey, uh, into Europe, moving from, from the Middle East into Europe. In fact, last time I was there, as we were... We were driving through the area. We we passed a huge refugee camp, and it was it was people who were fleeing Lebanon and Syria and all the conflicts and struggles that were going on there, trying to just survive and trying to, to, to get by. And so they had they had fled from from that area and they had landed there on the coast and they're looking for a way to get into Europe, up into uh, the European Union, and that's the entry point. It's right there around Philippi. That's the entry point. And so that's what it was in antiquity too. And so Paul, as Paul is is being led by the Spirit and and carrying out his missionary task, he gets to the edge of Asia Minor, and he has this vision there. And he has this vision of this man, this Macedonian man, Philippi is right in the middle of Macedonia, uh, saying, come and minister to us. And and so Paul did that. He crossed uh, the waters there, and he entered into Neapolis and then into Philippi. And that was his first work there in Europe. And that was the, 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 the beginning of his ministry throughout not just that region, but throughout all of Europe, all of Greece, on into Rome, um, uh, potentially up even into Spain, and perhaps even up, up into the British Isles. There's some traditions that put Paul that far north. Um, and so this is, this is a, a very important location. This is the first church plant in Europe that, uh, that Paul is, is carrying out here. Uh, he started it by engaging a, a woman named Lydia. Uh, 
leading her to Christ, and then she uh, subsequently was used by God to lead others to Christ, and the church grew and it flourished there, and it became, it became, <laughs> it became Paul's favorite church. I don't think there's really any dispute about that. When you read Philip Philippians versus reading all the other letters that Paul writes, it's clear he loved this church. He visited it at least um, at least three times, uh, and he he when he writes to them, his his words are glowing. His words are full of love and encouragement, and it's that encouragement and and what is behind it that we're going to be looking at uh, over the next several weeks. So beginning in verse one, this is what we read: Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with you for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is his opening, opening salutation. This is Paul's opening uh, uh, reminder. He's writing this uh, about four years after his previous visit. His last visit to them was about four years before this. And, and he, as he's writing, as he's introducing his, his themes and his ideas here, he says, every time, every time I think about you, I'm just filled with joy. Every time I, I, I bow my head in prayer, you're at the center of that prayer because we have this connection. We have this bond. And, and the bond that we have is important for my ministry and for your ministry. The bond that we have is seeing me in my present situation through the adversity that I'm encountering. Because Paul is writing this letter from prison. Okay? He's sitting there in prison. He's got Roman guards around him. He, he doesn't know when he's going to be released. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He doesn't know what the ultimate outcome of this imprisonment is going to involve. Will it be death? Will it be exile? Will it be some other form of punishment? He has no certainty about his future at all. But as he's sitting there, he says, I am experiencing full and complete joy. I am encouraged as I sit here. And I'm encouraged simply because you exist. Uh, that's, that's something. I can deal with this imprisonment. I can deal with the things that I've had to deal with, the beatings, the, the almost being killed, all of that, simply because you as a church exist. How do you get that kind of bond with somebody? How do you connect on that level with somebody so that just 
their existence encourages you. Well, I think Paul gives us some, some clues to that in this opening salutation uh, of how to create a bond with others that will help us to, to deal with adversity, deal with hard times. The first thing he says is that the bond begins with, it comes from selflessness. Notice how he introduces himself there in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now that's very different than how he introduces himself in Galatians. In Galatia, which is a church, churches, it's a group of churches actually, that he really doesn't get along very well with. He introduces himself there as the apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, he's throwing out his authority there. He's saying, here I am, God has set me aside, and I'm about to say some things to you that are hard for you to hear, but you need to hear them anyway. But I'm saying it in the full authority of Jesus Christ as one of his apostles. Philippi, okay, he didn't start that way. He could have, but he starts how? He says, I'm a servant, I'm a slave. Of Jesus Christ. He, he's, he's humbling himself as he interacts with them. As he begins his discussion, he's saying, I'm just one of you. And what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with and what I'm encountering, I'm going through all of that because Christ has compelled me to do so. Because I am his servant. I am your fellow servant. Part of the journey of finding a connection with others is being in yourself who you expect them to be. Okay. You want people to have a servant's heart as Paul wanted Philippi to have a servant's heart. You do what? You yourself exhibit, express servanthood. You want people to be encouraged? You yourself encourage others and express encouragement when you experience it. A lot of us have grown up in situations or uh, in churches or, or other circumstances where we've heard, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's good for me, but, you know, you got to be different. We've seen pastors that have that mentality. We've seen parents who have that mentality. We've had bosses who have that mentality. And it really, if we're being honest, it really doesn't work. Okay? We're going to be like those that we spend time with. And, if, and, and that's important for us in terms of leading and engaging and, and connecting with people. If we are distant and aloof and, and unengaging with each other, with others, that's how they're going to be to us. Even people who are initially, I, I've seen it, I've seen people who are, initially kind and friendly and warm and, and all those other things, and, and the person they're interacting with is just kind of standoffish, and pretty soon that warm and caring and engaging person, they become standoffish, at least to that person. You get what you give. And, and as people who are, are, are entering into a time of, of ministry and a time of engagement with a culture that's very much at odds with us, if we're going to really engage our culture, if we're really going to bring transformation to our culture, we have to give selflessness. If we want to ever see selflessness, 
we need to express it ourselves. And that's where Paul starts. The second thing, however, I think is, is, is one of the bigger elements in terms of creating that bond, creating that connection, and that is having a bigger purpose than just ourselves. I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen it on sports teams that I've played. I've seen it on, in, in churches that I've been a part of. Getting a, a bigger view, having a bigger dream, has a tendency to, to bring us together. You know, I, I don't know how many speeches I've, I've heard over the years from, from my coaches, you know, and, and some of them really stu stunk. Stunk? Yeah, they stunk. And some of them really stuck. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and the difference was whether or not that coach could get me and my teammates to see a bigger vision for what we were about to undertake. Something beyond ourselves. Something beyond what we had always viewed ourselves to be. And, and I think as a church, if we're going to come together, if we're going to have the bond that encourages each other, that that views our relationships and our circumstances through the lens of, man, I'm so glad I'm a part of that body of believers. I think a big part of that has to be that we get a bigger vision of what it means to be a part of this church and what it means to be in this community. It can't just be, I come to church. It can't just be, well, I'm glad to be there on Sunday morning. It has to be, we're here in this community to see this community one for Christ. We're here in this place. We've been given the, these resources, this privilege, this, this connection with each other. We've been given each other, not for our own sakes, but for the sake of our community to make a difference, to share Jesus, to see people come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Part of the, the irony, part of the struggle I, I see with, with Christians right now as we talk about culture wars and how we're losing the culture war and, and how we're, we're in this culture war in this fight. We, we need to fight for our rights and we need to defend ourselves and we need to vote for people who protect our rights and all those other things. Part of the reason we're here is because we haven't been the church we were called to be in the first place. I'm talking universal here. The church has not been involved in a mission that's bigger than itself. The church has always, at least over the last several decades that I've been around, has always settled for, well, let's let's get out the vote, or let's uh, you know let let's let's change our worship services so we we have more people who are coming in, or or let's do this, or let's do that. And it's all been about them. It's all been about us. We need to catch a bigger vision that Christ doesn't have us here for our sakes. He has us here for the sakes of those who are lost. To engage them. And yes, we need to vote. And yes, we need to, we need to engage our culture on, on cultural levels. And, and we, need to, we need to minister to the poor. And we need to feed the, feed the hungry. And we need to be a part, a part of all that. But if we're not taking the message of Jesus with us, when we go into those situations, into those circumstances, 
we are failing in our task as a church. So we need that bigger vision. We need to see, as Paul describes here, that it's the gospel that's at the center of the relationship that we have. And we encourage each other, and we hold each other accountable to sharing that gospel. A third aspect of the bond that brought them together was the aspect of being co-workers. In my experience in churches, in, in dealing with people, there's three kinds of people who come to church. There are those who come to church to be the boss. And, and we, we have those in our churches. We have people who they're part of the church they're part of because they have authority in that church. They can pull strings and they can push buttons and they can direct things and that's why, why they're in that church. And the church whole church can die around them. We've seen that in a couple churches in our community. whole church dies around them, but man, they have their power base, so they're good to go. If your vision, if your desire is to be the boss, your desire is wrong. In this church, it's my prayer that Jesus is the boss. That God is the one we follow. And all of us co-workers. The second type of person that you'll see in the, in the church is the customer. They're the person who's, they're just, they're just there to, to take it all in. Okay? Give me a good Bible study. Give me a good sermon. Give me some good songs. Entertain me. Enlighten me if you can. But I'm just here to take it in. I don't care about giving it out. Again, if you're here and that's your mentality, we're always glad people are here, but that's a mentality that's wrong. Okay. The third type of person is the person who comes to be a co-worker. And that's the person that I think we all need to strive to be. That's the person I hope I'm becoming more and more like. I'm not perfect in this by any stretch of the imagination, but I hope that that is our mentality when we think about the church, to be a coworker, to be somebody who's invested in the work that's done here. I've had the privilege of holding a lot of jobs over the years to pay for my education, to, to do different things. I've worked on drill rigs. I did security at DFW Airport. I delivered pizza. I, 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 dig, I dug ditches, worked on farms. I, whatever I could do to make money, to, to, to make sure that I could continue my, my training, my education, all those other things. And some of those jobs I loved, and some of those jobs I hated. And it wasn't whether the job was hard or easy. It was the people I worked with. It was, did I have someone around me who was doing the job with me that I enjoyed being with? And you know what? Church is very much the same thing. We are called here to work. We're called here to minister. We're called here to serve. And the difference of whether or not we do it and do it well is the 
people that we are with, that we're co-workers with? Do we view them as co-workers? Are we in this journey, in this struggle together? Are we enjoying each other's presence? I think as we do and as we are, I think that's where the bond that will connect us will begin to grow and take hold. Another element that adds to that bond is sharing a journey together. Paul here in verses 6 through 8 talks about the journey that the church of Philippi is on. He talks about how they're growing in their faith. He talks about how they're changing and, 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 and traveling and, and, and understanding their presence before God better. And he says, I have every confidence that, that the one who began his work in you is going to this journey that you're on has an end goal, and we're taking that journey together. I've had the privilege of, of taking mission trips, taking road trips. I love a road trip. Good road trip, nothing better. Just get on the road and just go. You see some strange sight on the side of the road, pull over and take a look at it. It's a blast. I love it. But what makes it a blast, what makes the mission trips good, are the people you take them with. Enjoying those moments. There have been times where I've had to take trips for business reasons or, or for other reasons, and, and I, I got to see some amazing things along the way. And as amazing and wonderful as those things I saw were, the fact that I was by myself robbed me of some of the joy of experiencing because I'd see something, I'd say, D -d 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 -d. you know, turn into somebody, you see that? There's nobody to say that to. To take a journey together is to build a relationship, to, to build a bond, a connection. And as, as believers, as a church, we need to be on this journey together. As we tackle this bigger purpose, this bigger vision, as we work alongside each other, we need to see it as an adventure. We need to see it as an adjournment. Something where we can look at each other and say, did you see what God did there? Did you see how God worked in this situation or in this environment? Taking that journey together leads to a, a heartfelt connection. It's, Paul expresses it in verse 8. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That when we're not together, we're missing each other. We're missing our time together. We're, we're, we're thinking about each other. We're praying for each other. That's who I hope we become as a church. That, that's who I want us to be as a church. People who are working and engaging and sharing a journey. The last thing that Paul says here that, that causes that bond, that connection within this body of believers is meeting each other's needs. He talks about praying for them. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. I, I pray that you'll understand God better. I pray that you'll understand each other better. I, I pray that there will be a new sensitivity and, and discretion in the decisions you make. I pray that, that you'll be able to carry, <coughs> carry out this ministry. But it's not just the prayer, it's what? I'm able to do these things because you've supported me. Paul says, I'm able to do these things because you have 
encourage me. You've been there alongside me. You have met my needs. And as a congregation, we need to be of the mindset, of, of the perspective that, that we're here to, to meet each other's needs. That when I have something that's going on, I can call on you. And when you have something that's going on that you need help, you can call on me. This is the vision of what it means, I believe, to be a church, to be a body here, to be a people who, who are more than just co-attenders. We're family. That's my dream of what a church can be, that we don't just know each other's business but that we are actually there connected to each other, helping each other, walking with each other. That we have a joint vision for reaching this community, that, that we're committed to being co-workers alongside each other. That we're enjoying each other in the journey and in the vision. That we're selfless in our activities and that we're meeting each other's needs. This is my dream. This is my hope for this church. This is my dream for, for how we would be uh, significant in this community, making a difference. That if we closed our doors, the community would miss our presence. But how do we get there? How do we build this bond? How do we become these sorts of things? It's actually quite simple. We set our minds to it, and then we pursue it. We become intentional about being these kind of people. We become mindful of the words we speak or the words we don't speak. We, we become mindful of our role and our place in this community and in this church. We become committed to stepping out beyond the comfortable, the easy, to stretch ourselves, to stretch our faith, to stretch our relationships. We look at ourselves, we evaluate ourselves in light of the gospel, in light of who Christ has made us, and we realize and we recognize that we're more than we are currently being. God has made us to be more than we are. I've been here nearly two years now. Be two years in, in January. And we had we had some good momentum at the beginning of the year. Obviously, COVID has had taken its toll on some of that. But even with the good momentum, I'll be real honest, we're not who I thought we'd be at this point as a church. And I bear a lot of that blame for that. Folks, we need to all take responsibility to recognize God has called us to this place, to this membership, to this location, to encourage each other, have a bond with each other that others can see that changes our community that changes 
people's lives because they want what we got. And what we got is Jesus. That's who we serve. That's where our goal is. I believe if we all would put in our own individual lives, in our family lives, Jesus at the center, Jesus as our goal, then we would come together as a church. If everybody's headed toward one goal, then ultimately what? They're all going to meet at that goal. And if we as a church can catch that vision, I want to be all that Christ has called me to be. And we start pursuing that and, and following that and, and, and desiring that, then we will build a bond. We will be co-workers. We will see a bigger purpose. We will be sharing a journey. We will be meeting needs. Because you can't help but do those things as you draw closer to the one who best exemplified them in his life. The one we call Lord. Jesus. Who saved us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help us. Revive us, O oh Lord. Touch us in the power of your Spirit. Help us to be men and women, boys and girls, who are first and foremost driven by a desire to know you more. God, as we pursue that desire, we pray for the bond that comes from pursuing a bigger purpose, from being selfless co-workers, from sharing a journey, from meeting each other's needs. Lord, go with us, please. Help us to be the people you call us to be. Thank you for your grace and mercy and love. That's so much more than we deserve. We thank you for the blessings of family and friends. We thank you for our nation that you've allowed us to, to function within freely. We pray that you be with us as we vote and as we live as citizens in this environment. God, first and foremost, I pray that you help us to be disciple makers. To share our faith as you've called us to. To call us to, to more than we've settled for. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.